Welcome to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. Here we explore the training and development of America's leaders in the application of air power and the profession of arms. The views expressed are those of the hosts and do not reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome back to another episode of Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. I am Colin Slade. And I'm Reed Gann, and we're your hosts for Commission Ed. So this week is part two in our mini-series on separating or retiring or otherwise leaving the Air Force. Last week, we talked about the process and the timelines that are involved, but this week we feel it's important that we cover some of the reasons that you might want to do that. Truth in lending, we can't possibly cover all the many reasons that someone might want to leave the Air Force, both personal and professional, the various different situations and circumstances that may arise. But we do feel that it is important that we cover this information a little bit, at least give you something to think about as you consider your own exit strategy from the Air Force. You know, something to think about, Colin, it may be even a good idea for those considering joining the military or not to think about some of these things. You know, these reasons for leaving might be reasons to not join depending on, on where you are. And like you said, there's no way we could even attempt at capturing the myriad of reasons why someone would leave the military and perhaps even not join. But this is just kind of a, an initial stab. And at the very least, Colin, I appreciate the thought experiment. You know, you know, I have never separated, although that thought has entered my mind, as you will see here, as you know, we go through some of these reasons. But it was a good thing for me to sit down and really think about this stuff because I think of it kind of like any challenge that you're going to be faced with. You don't want to think about that challenge for the first time when it's game time. You kind of want to pregame a little bit. So that's kind of what we're trying to do this week is give some folks a reason to think about this stuff. And even if you're 19 years away from your potential separation, I found this experiment very valuable to sit down and think, man, what is it that would make me feel like it was time? Yeah, absolutely. And just as it has been a thought experiment for you, Reed, it needs to be a thought experiment for everybody that's listening to this and understand that this is an individual process. Your reasons for leaving the Air Force are going to be unique to you, just as are your reasons for joining in the first place. Or I'm really glad they brought it up. Your reasons for maybe not joining at all. So the way that we are going to approach this is because it is so individual, you and I, Reed, are going to take turns talking about our individual reasons for hypothetically leaving the Air Force in your case, and then later on I'll speak to my reasons for actually leaving the Air Force the two times that I have done it now. Sounds good. All right, so this actually took me a while to like really think through this. And I'm actually fairly pleased with myself. I'll just say that straight up. This is something that I really enjoyed doing. I came down to five reasons. These are not in priority order, but five reasons. And I've tied a nice little tale of woe, if you will, to each so that we can, you know, share the context of, of why in my mind makes sense as things to consider. So the first one is when you are no longer able to achieve your goals. Now, this is going to be tough because just like you said, everybody's got different reasons for joining, different reasons for staying. Everyone has a lot of different goals and those goals can change over time. There's nothing wrong with that. But I want to outline what mine are now and give you a little story about how I felt my goals were going to be irrevocably or just completely unattainable given a specific situation I found myself faced with and when I very seriously considered separating. So right now, my goals for my career are that I leave the service happily married to my wife and being able to honestly tell myself that I did the best that I could for my kids. Whether they love me or not, 
that's up to them. But I need to be able to look at myself in the mirror and say, I did everything I could for my wife and my kids. And after that, I do want to do 20 years. And in order to safely make a 20-year career, I need to make 05, Lieutenant Colonel. So I'm doing whatever I can in order to ensure that happens. So when I was selected to go to OTS at the time, that was a serious damage to my opportunity to make 05. And just to clarify, this is when you were selected to go as an instructor. Correct. Thank you. Yes. We don't want to paint the picture that anyone who goes through OTS to receive their commission is doomed to never make 05, right? Yes. Thank you for that clarification. Yes. This was when I was, at the time, the environment around being selected for an instructor at OTS, to a lesser degree ROTC, but certainly at OTS, was you are now out of the career field. You are not going to be competitive alongside your peers for promotion opportunities, for selective opportunities. And every single 05 and 06 that heard I was going to OTS basically sat me down and had like a little come to Jesus moment, like, okay, like it's going to get harder now. And as an impressionable captain, that's really shocking when they start saying, hey, I thought you were on a pretty good path as an officer. Oh, not so much anymore. I'm not really sure how this is going to work out. And that's scary, you know, scary thinking about trying to commit to this thing. So here I am seven years in and I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I should just punch. I, I don't know that I want to go through this miserable experience. And remember, I'd been a student at OTS. I knew that that meant, you know, 2.30, 2.45 wake-ups. I knew what it meant. And I really, really seriously thought about it. I pulled up, you know, recruiting websites. I went to USA Jobs. I went to other things trying to find employment. And I just didn't have enough good leads in the time frame that I had to make a decision in. And so I just decided, okay, I'm going to put my head down, put my shoulder to the wheel. I'm going to just grit it out. And it ended up being an incredible opportunity. It's worked out very well for me. And now, given the preference that the Chief of Staff and the Secretary of the Air Force have placed on instructor recruiter positions, it's actually going to turn out to be a benefit to my career. So I have this as my very first point, right? You're no longer able to achieve your goals, but this is all wrapped up in a tale of caution. Be careful to set goals over which you have no control, which is a lot of the things in the Air Force. So very carefully choose your goals. And that's why I also outlined what my new career goals are. And I can control whether or not I maintain an appropriate relationship with my wife. That, that is up to me. Yes, she is a person and she can make decisions too. But if at the end of the day, I can look myself in the mirror eye and say, I did everything I could to keep that relationship the way I want it to be, then I'm happy with wherever my career goes. I see people attaching their career success, in quotes, to a rank or position. That is outside of your control. You can only do so much. So first point, you can no longer achieve your goals, whatever they are, right? There's a whole bunch of them out there. And I think, Colin, we're going to get into that in one of you know, your examples later, right? Absolutely. Yep, for sure. Yeah, I think that is such a, an important point to make, an important reason to, to highlight is, I just love this, that do not set goals connected to things that you can't control. It's like what we've talked about previously, all these people asking, how do I get selected for pilot? Or how do I get this particular crew field? Or even just get selected for OTS or an ROTC scholarship or the academy or anything that is competitive like that. You need to identify and recognize the things that you cannot control, which is most things. Yes, it is most things. And control the heck out of everything else. Yeah. And then be at peace with how it shakes out, which is for us, a type controlling type people, lousy, Colin, it's lousy, <laughs> but I've definitely grown in, in this way for sure. This experience is you know, key among those growth experiences. But like most growth experiences, I love the word lousy. They're painful. Yeah. Yeah. Lousy. 
is the word of today's podcast. Lousy. <laughs> All right. Lousy um, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying. All right. So the second of my points is when the three most important priorities in my life have been irrecoverably forced out of order. And so it's going to take a little bit of explanation here, but my three priorities in order are God, family, and country. And I think about the way I use time like it's money. And I think about it like bank accounts. And I think about time being spent and I think about time being invested. So let's just get some things off the plate here real early. I do not think being in the military will necessarily make you not a good disciple of your chosen faith, spirituality, practice. I don't think that's the case. I also don't think that you will not be a good husband, father, daughter, son if you join the military. I also don't think that you cannot be a good patriot as a citizen and not a military member. I'm not saying those things. I'm just saying those are my three places that I choose to spend the majority of my time focused on in order. God, family, country, those are the most important things in my life. But I also can't dismiss the fact that it is incredibly taxing on everything about you, on your relationships, on your time, on your experience. And so it has the potential to throw those priorities out of whack. So when it comes to my time, I need to keep all those accounts in the black. When I do things to support my family, when I spend time with them, I view that like putting money in my family bank account. When I worship the way I choose, when I get to attend my meetings, when I give service to others, I feel that I'm putting money in my God bank account. And likewise, when I go to work and I put on my uniform and I salute smartly at uh, Revelry in the evening, I feel like I'm putting time invested and in the bank for my country. Now, it's a give and take, right? When I do a deployment, I have to withdraw from my family. I have to withdraw and lean on that account and I have to take some money out of that account. So the issue is, do I have enough there so that I don't go red, so that I don't, things aren't bad. The tax collector, so to speak, doesn't come because I'm not making things work. So this is how I like to think about it. Now, I do see these three priorities more as like a Venn diagram of overlapping circles than a numerical ladder, if you will. And so I do think when I serve others, that benefits both my faith and my family and my country. But the point is, you need to figure out what your priorities are and you need to know if they're going to be kept in order. I have turned down incredible, exciting, oh my goodness, you would get to do that opportunities in order to choose to be the husband and father I want to be. And I'm not saying that to put myself up there on a pedestal and say, look at me how amazing I am. Because yes, 12-year-old Reed gets pretty stinking excited about going to be a debt commander in the Australian outback, right? Like, oh my gosh, I get to move to Australia, you know, kangaroos and stuff. Like that sounds incredibly exciting. I've been recruited for positions where, again, I'm not putting myself up there, but I've been told you can't know the name of this unit or even where we are or what we do until you accept the position. 12-year-old Reed, like jazz hands. I'm really excited, right? This is, this is something I want to do. But for me, those things would move my priorities in a way that won't work for my goals. And I've had to turn those things down. When the Air Force forces me to move those priorities out of order and I can't get them back and I can't balance, then it's time. It, it will be time for me. And that may happen tomorrow. I have no idea when that could happen. I do feel very fortunate that I've been able to overwhelmingly keep every account in the black. There, there have been some times, you know, month 5.5 of deployment, that family account's getting real skinny, right? And you get back and you spend a lot of time and energy at home. Sometimes you do dip into the red and you, your faith adherence or whatever it is for you, right? You're out of whack. And so when the Air Force 
forces me to put those priorities out of order in a way that I'm no longer okay with, that's when I know it'll be time. Yeah, I really like what you're describing here, especially this idea of the Venn diagram on those three different priorities that you have. Yes, you have them in order, God, family, country, but there are still some opportunities for overlap there. And I I just imagine in my mind, one of those circles being pulled away from the other two. And that's where you know, hey, I'm losing some overlap here and things are going to uh, become out of balance because that that particular part of my life is much further away than it needs to be for you to stay in the black or in balance. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. So when the Air Force, and they will, there will come a point where the Air Force will say, nope, this is the deal. Because in case anyone doesn't know, they own you, right? (laughs) (laughs) Let's just get that out of the way. Um, There will come a point and so far it's, I've been able to balance it. I've been able to say, okay, I'm going to do this thing that I don't want to do, but then I can get back to my family and my faith and balance them appropriately. There will come a time and that's when I'll know. Yeah. That time will come for every single person who wears the uniform at some point. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, point number three, uh, when you can no longer give everything. So, this is a young person's game, this business of warfighting. Think about, think about elite athletes, Colin. We've all seen it, right? These guys and gals, they are no longer at the top of their game and everyone can see it. Yeah, that is also going to be one of those times. So I remember someone I was working for who was retiring. person still had tons of energy, was super passionate about the mission. They were fit, but they also knew that it was time. And they just said it one day. They said, I am tired. This is a young person's game and I am tired. And that's what made me think about it. You know, the best of the best, they know when it's time to hang it up. And and I've heard that from a few other folks as they retire. Like, you know, I can, I can, I can give a little bit more, but the effort of giving is just getting so hard that it's time. They could have continued to pursue rank and position. It was left in the tank, but it was the act of giving what is required because so much is required that they just couldn't do it anymore. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm just trying to see if this is an extension of your previous one or maybe a point to be for the spending of your time because you're describing within this one the giving of everything and trying to reconcile that with the not giving of everything all the time, but balancing your priorities within the previous point you made. Do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally do. And I think that's a really good point that I hadn't fully considered right now in order for me to pass my PFA at the level I expect, I know what's required. I know a couple months out, I'll start doing more push-ups than normal, start adding crunches, pick up the running, you know, that kind of stuff. But in general, it's not like this massive shift of lifestyle in order for me to pass my PFA. That's going to change, right? When I'm starting hitting mid-40s, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm like, oh, I got my PFA in nine months. I better get, <laughs> I better get moving, you know? And so I do think that the circle maybe required by country might be growing in size and start to eclipse some of those other things. So I think that's a good point. This, this could be considered like too Bravo, but I also, I don't want to ignore the, the physicality of this point. This is a young person's game. It absolutely is. And you see that really starkly when you go to like unit PT or something you see these 19 year old kids out there, you know, bouncing off the wall, they fall down and they just like spring back up and you see the old gray beards, <laughs> they hit the ground and everyone stops. Like, Oh no, the chief, oh, did, did we break, you know, we did, we break them. So I, I don't want to ignore that part of that. So let's also uh, point out that it's not strictly related to the physical aspect of it, but the mental part that being 
truly successful as an officer requires a great amount of mental exertion as well, especially when you're in that operational type of role, the pilots having to do all the mental calculations there in the jet, you as a Intel officer having to sift through the data, recognize the pattern, make sense of it, and present that as usable information, right? There are various mental aspects of what we do as officers that are much more easily done when you are young and fresh and full of vigor. That becomes far more difficult later on as you start to build some of that crust and kind of get stuck in your ways. Yeah. And I think this idea of you're no longer willing to give everything and the mental side of it applies much more to those in the five to seven year time frame. And they're just like, can I continue to throw my whole heart and soul at this problem? You know, their hearts just aren't in it anymore. So yeah, good point. Absolutely. So number four is when my spouse asks me to stop. This was a deal I made with her early because I absolutely love this job. I love the simple little things. I love the ceremony. I love the pomp. I love the uniform wear. I love the camaraderie. I love being an airman. But even moaning and complaining about those things, I find enjoyable. I mean, that, that's how, <laughs> that is how lost I am to the Air Force. And, but I value my relationship with her more than anything else. And I needed her to know that. And I also needed to say that out loud to commit to myself. Again, right, going with that priority discussion so that she knew where I would land at the end of the day. I could have deployed so many times. I could have gone to so many amazing things, but my family and my relationship with her is the most important thing in the world. And so that was the deal we made. She knows what my career goals are. Those are things we make together. Those are decisions we make together. Those are conversations we have constantly. Hey, where are we? Are we still okay with this life? Yes, I'm going to root us out of our home again to move cross country to a different time zone. You know, I'm going to do this again. Are we still okay with this? She knows that is like her nuclear option, right? That is the biggest card she has, but I gave it to her willingly. She knows it will, it will break my heart, but she also knows that I would absolutely do that if she asked. And so I work daily to keep that card in the wallet. I don't want to see it. I, I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want her to have to bring that up. So I make deliberate, conscious effort. At year 19.5, I want her to go, oh, do you remember that, that one time where you said this? You know, that's how I want her to feel about this opportunity. But it matters to me. And so I do say that. I'm like, honey, I will stop when you ask. I do feel that this is, again, an extension of a previous point. But I think it's that important that it's worth separating it out even into its own reason. Because this is something that is going to come up so frequently. And not just for you, but for the people that you work with. You're going to see this all the time. The conversations with a spouse, with a partner, with key stakeholders in your life that some people, you know, some of those spouses, those partners are in that boat of they're too tired or the cost for continuing to serve is just too high and they're not willing to pay it. Their accounts have been spent way too far down that they just cannot go another assignment. And it's at that point that, yeah, you have to do some serious reflection and about your priorities about for you read God, family, and country. Obviously, those are going to look different for other people, but what you're describing here is a great way for people in our audience to start thinking about these things. Yeah, and for our audience who's still not in and considering how they can get in, I think you need to have this conversation with the people you love and the people that matter to you right now. I've had two siblings, younger siblings, who wanted and expressed an interest in joining the military both of whom their spouses said, sorry, that's a line for me. 
And you need to have that conversation well before you suit up and raise your right hand and, and swear an oath. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a spouse. You know, this can be your parents. This can be your best friend. This can be whatever relationship you value so highly that the outcome is less important. You need to have that in your mind when you make these decisions. So for me, when my spouse looks me in the eye and says, honey, I'm done. That's it. That's when I'll know. Yeah. I have a friend who is going through this exact thing right this instant. You know, he's one year out from completing his current assignment. And so he's at that point where he has to get serious about seeking out that next assignment or dropping paperwork like we talked last week and be beginning that process of seeking out a new position, doing all the networking so that he can keep his wife and his family in the situation that they're in right now. She does not want to move again. Like she's done. She's, she's told him multiple, multiple times, even over the last few years. And so hey, he knew this was coming that she does not want to move again. She wants to stay exactly where they are. And he is struggling mightily with it because same as you read, he loves his air force. He wants to keep wearing the uniform. He wants to keep serving. And that is a really tough spot to be in. Yes. You know, I had a, for one of the most powerful mentorship experiences the day before I commissioned at OTS. So my student squadron commander, now that's a position, uh, I know we described it in my earlier episodes about OTS. Mine was one of the most important officers I've met in my career. Incredibly, incredibly driven, just excellent in every way. Still stay in touch with this person. They're just dripping with good mentorship. They are exactly who we want at AETC inspiring the next generation without question. The day before commissioning, he pulled over our entire student squadron into a flight room. And he said, you guys and gals all know how dedicated I am to what I do. He was the first person there, the last person to leave, I mean, you name it, right? And just always, always on, always on. I've never seen someone who never turned off like this guy. And he said, I want you to recognize, he said, I am divorced. I have no children. I have no prospects. And when the Air Force asks me to leave, I will be absolutely without anything. Keep that in mind because at some point your Air Force career will end. And it was a super powerful experience. And that's why I have family such an important center point in my career decision making because it's going to end. It's going to end, but hopefully your family's forever. I can't make those decisions for you. I can't know. I can't tell you how to adjust your priorities, but I would strongly advise everybody that those relationships need to be first and foremost. And so for me, number four, when my, when my spouse asked me to stop, then I'll know it's time. Yeah. Great point. Thanks for making that one. Yeah. And this leads me to my last point, Colin, when you are asked to leave, then it's time. Everybody, no matter if you become the chief of staff, the Air Force is going to ask you to leave. You are going to hit a gate, a window, something's going to happen. You will meet a point. You could be the warrior monk himself, dedicated, single, without attachment, completely, wholly dedicated to the Air Force. And they will say, thank you for your service. They will stamp a DD-214 and they will hand it to you. Have you ever seen Chief of Staff's DD-214? No. It looks like everyone else's. <laughs> I saw one in an archive. I'm like, oh my gosh. This is Chief and Staff so-and-so's DD-214. And it, it literally just says, like, it looks like the most banal piece of paper ever, like anyone else's. And I can just see, you know, the airman at the MPF just, like, going through his paperwork. Oh, Chief of Staff. <laughs> Here you go. Like, you're out. You're out. That's it. You're done. I don't know when that time is going to come for me. I just hope that I'm emotionally ready for it. But that's my fifth and final point. When the Air Force asks you to leave, it's time to go. Yeah. 
such great points. Thank you, Reed, for talking about those. Well, thanks again for the experiment, you know, the thought experiment of what does this feel like? How do I know? I, I enjoyed it. So, okay, Colin, Mr. I've left the Air Force twice, <laughs> zombie style. Let's turn it over to you. What, what is it? How did you know it was time? Yeah, man, this is such an important topic because it's, it's going to happen to everybody. I know we keep saying that, but I want, to, I want our audience to grasp that, that it is going to happen and you need to be ready for it. And there is much that is outside of your control with respect to this. We talked about some of those things in, in your five reasons. I'll highlight some of those in mine. But yeah, I just, I really hope that our audience is grasping what we're trying to share with them, that it's going to end. And for some people like me, it's going to end multiple times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's always good to have the end in mind when you start on any path you know, be conscious and aware of the ending. So you know when and where to start, you know, let, let's think back to, you know, the Cheshire cat talking to Alice in Wonderland. Like she asked where, which path do I take? And he says, well, where do you want to go? She said, I don't know. Well, then it doesn't matter. Right. I mean, so let's, let's keep that end in mind as we make our decisions. And I, I think it's a great point. Yeah. It's like it, it teaches in the Bible who among you will start to build a tower without first measuring the cost. It's silly to embark in something as significant as an Air Force journey without recognizing what is it going to take and what is it going to look like when you need to exit. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so my experience. So my first uh, separation was back in 2015, shortly after I had deployed to Jordan and completed my ADSC. Reed, do we remember what ADSC means? Active duty service commitment. That's right. Yeah. So as soon as I got back from that deployment, I hit that four-year mark of my active duty service commitment, and then I was eligible to leave the Air Force. Now, I had already decided well before that. In fact, I had already pressed the button before I had left on my deployment. I'd already started that ball rolling. And... Let's talk about the reasons why, okay? I had been selected for the AFIT, Air Force Institute of Technology, GEM program. This is a fantastic opportunity for officers that have an engineering background that want to go get a master's and get a management degree, but specific to the engineering side of things. And we, we should probably do a, a show on various different uh, graduate programs that officers can participate in. But just understand that this is a really fantastic opportunity. You get to be a full-time student for 18 months, do the college thing again, but this time being paid for it instead of paying for it, right? I think there are a few greater things in this world than getting paid to go to college. Holy smokes. Anyway, sorry. I'm just like dreaming over here of how nice that would be. Yeah. So I had already been selected for this program and that was going to be the next step, right? But at the same time, I had just completed my first master's degree in ethnomusicology and I had the itch after I had finished that to continue working on my studies on military drill and the whole music and dance culture that surrounds that. Hence my interest in doing the PhD later on, as well as I was interested in pursuing a career in higher education. And I had the thought that if my next thing was going to be being a student and the Air Force wanted me to be an engineering student, but I wanted to be a music and dance student, then I was going to do the thing that I wanted to do because we've talked many times about defining your own success. And to me, that was important enough to me to leave, but that's not the whole story regarding this separation. Even before I was selected for the gem program, I learned about a very awesome opportunity called the Olmstead fellowship. The Olmstead foundation is 
again, another podcast that we should do to talk about this amazing opportunity. But essentially, you get selected as an Olmstead Scholar. You are sent to live in another country for two years, learn the language and the culture, take some classes at a university there. You could even get your intermediate development education credit, you know, similar to ACSE or yeah, Army Staff College or something along those lines, right? And I was dead set on getting that opportunity. I didn't recognize at the time, but I understand now that I didn't have a snowflakes chance in Hades of getting selected for this program. One, I was way too early in my career. I was applying for Olmstead as a lieutenant. Yeah, that's typically much like mid-career is typically when the selections happen for that. I mean, they say that you're eligible when you're early on in your career, but you'd have to be a unicorn in order to get selected that early on. It, it just doesn't happen. And then combining that with the fact that I didn't have the stratifications that I needed on my OPRs, as well as I was just in the wrong career field. I was in support. And right or wrong, Olmstead scholars are typically selected out of ops. Pilots, CISOs, Intel, those other career fields for whatever reason. And so it just wasn't going to happen for me. And I was super miffed about that, that I had applied multiple times and that I didn't even get like a second look. And so I was frustrated about that, but I still really wanted that experience of going overseas, experiencing a different culture, pursuing some academic studies in, in conjunction with that. And so I chose to do the next best thing. I self-funded a two-month trip to Ireland where I started my PhD. And so I made it happen for myself because it was that important to me. But that required that I leave the Air Force. So those are the, the main reasons that surrounded my first separation. I absolutely love my time in Ireland. 10 out of 10 would highly recommend it to anybody. Maybe don't leave the Air Force for it. That's something that you're going to have to decide for yourself. If you get the opportunity to spend some time in Ireland, absolutely take it. It's a fantastic country. My only Ireland experience is coming back on a rotator and stopping there at the airport on my way back to freedom from my time in the Middle East. But Iron Brews, that's a Scottish drink. But anyway, I had it while I was there. It's good. Yeah, Shannon, the airport there in Shannon is actually just a few minutes outside of where I was staying for those few months that I was there. And I actually had to go to Shannon on a regular basis to rent a car. So I had been there just like you multiple times flowing in and out of you know, deployed locations. And then when I was living there in Ireland, got to go back and reminisce quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, so I left the Air Force to pursue that experience that I wanted to have within the Air Force, but couldn't. And so I chose to leave, right? Again, love my time in Ireland, loved working on my PhD studies. I eventually did get hired into higher education and really enjoyed that, but something was missing. Like you read, I love the Air Force. There are many things that I do not love about it, but I love more about it than I don't. And so I could tell that something was really missing and I worked to get back into it. And that's how I ended up back on active duty again, this time teaching Air Force ROTC. In fact, leaving the Air Force helped me to get back into the Air Force. Which is crazy. It is just, that's, <laughs> there, first off, let's, there is no average normal career. None of them are average or normal. But you got to admit, this is a pretty circuitous path to where you ended up. Yeah. And I had applied for Air Force ROTC to be an instructor there while on active duty. And I got denied because I was supposed to go to the AFIT GEM program, right? And so there was already an interest in doing ROTC. But yeah, in order to get hired into it, I had to leave the Air Force to come back into the Air Force to do the thing that I wanted. Yeah. Not normal, everybody. That is not normal. Not but. normal and maybe even not recommended. I don't know. I, it worked for me. I don't, it might not work for you. 
so let's be frank here. I left the Air Force for some reasons that that you highlighted in your own, right? That there were some goals that I wanted to achieve that I could not, and so I left. There were also some things about the Air Force structure and the way it operates that I could not reconcile with my own desires and my worldview, right? So coming back into the Air Force, like I came back in eyes wide open. Like I knew exactly what I was doing to myself and I was still okay with it, right? Because I knew that there were those things that were missing and I wanted them back in my life. So with the second separation, I'll be honest with you. I did not want to separate. I know. You and I had, <laughs> you and I had a whole lot of conversations about this for quite some time. And let's talk about the reasons why I did not want to separate. First and foremost is that while on active duty the second time, my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and this drastically changed my priorities. I knew that if I didn't provide him health care, he was literally going to die. And the best way I knew how was to stay on active duty. Yeah, we have very good benefits as members of the armed forces that are frankly gifts from the American people for our willingness to serve and protect. And so that is and can be a motivation to get in. It can be a motivation to stay. And I will never question anyone's reasons for staying when it's in that kind of place. So that was the first and most important thing. That still remains the first and most important thing to me. I mean, he still has type 1 diabetes. It's not going to change anytime soon or ever. And so that's going to drive my decision-making for the rest of my life, right? And I recognize that. But in combination with that, I loved what I was doing as an ROTC instructor so much. I tried literally everything that I could to get extended in that position, but it just could not happen. For various reasons, policy, personality conflicts, whatever you want to attribute it to, the Air Force was just not going to let me stay on active duty. I could not do it. I mean, I sought out multiple different avenues of staying on active duty, whether in ROTC or in other positions uh, within the Air Force, willing to move, you know, to stay serving, but it just could not happen. So again, I chose the next best thing, and that was to return to the Air Force Reserve and continue serving in that capacity as best as I could. And thankfully, that has worked out well for me. At least I, I think it will. I have this opportunity to cross-train into a new career field, into 13 Sierra Space Operations, which I'm super excited about. But that is still just a part-time thing. And part-time military service, as wonderful as it might be, and it scratches an itch, it keeps me involved, but it doesn't pay the bills, right? You can't live off of part-time military service and still take care of your family. So I needed another thing. Well, I had already done the higher ed thing and I knew that what that was like. I knew that it didn't, there were things that were missing from that experience and I didn't want to go back to that. So about this point, I discovered the Corporate Captains podcast, which I would recommend to anybody and everybody that is listening to ours. It is a fantastic resource hosted by an Air Force captain and Marine Corps captain who have been through this transition before, and they, they share their experience. So I started listening to this podcast, and it gave me the thought that I should try corporate America, which is something I had never thought about before. I'd never wanted to be part of the rat race of chasing a profit. That didn't interest me at the time. But what these gentlemen, Brent Nichols and Jay Adams highlighted in their podcast spoke to me on a level that I had never considered before. First and foremost among those things is that we as officers in all of the different services, not just the Air Force, we have something of value to corporate America. 
and I had had this thought multiple times, especially after I left the, the Air Force the first time. There's a very vivid moment in my mind where uh, you know, I spent some time unemployed after I left the Air Force. And in order to you know, continue making ends meet, I worked uh, holiday season installing Christmas lights on houses. And I found myself on the top of a roof. It was pitch black outside. It was 15 degree weather, cold and windy. And here I'm thinking to myself, how did I get here? I am a captain in the Air Force, and here I am installing Christmas lights. Now, that isn't to say you wouldn't be doing that in uniform, perchance. That's possible, right? We've, we've talked about that before, right? I've picked up garbage. I've, I've done some crazy stuff that didn't align with what I thought I would do, but I can empathize with what you're saying, right? Like, I went to school. Like, I've done important things. I've led men in war. And here I am on top of a ladder. That's not exactly what you kind of envisioned for the for that time, right? Yeah, and I, I'm just thinking, I have the, all this leadership training and experience, and here I am not using any of that, doing unskilled labor, installing Christmas lights. Something has really gone wrong, and I don't know what happened. Now I really I do know what happened. I knew what happened at the time, but I was just in a literally a dark place at the time. And so what these gentlemen were saying in their podcast really spoke to me on that. The experience that you gain as an officer in the various different services is worth something. That you have something of significant value to offer corporate America or even government work, nonprofit work, or within this, the service itself. But their specific lens is in the corporate world. And then on top of that, they talked about this concept known as the leadership plateau. That coming out of college as an officer in the armed services, you are immediately thrust into positions and opportunities that are way, way, way above your capability. And so you grow to that very quickly, right? Whereas coming out of college and going into just the normal civilian career path, be it the corporate world, nonprofit, government work, or anything like that, their growth is much, much slower. But over the course of time, those two curves change places, right? The civilian who is free to move and to develop and take on additional responsibility at any point and is not beholden to any sort of rank structure or timing that is imposed by policy, they can take on additional responsibility much, much faster than we can. Yeah, I can potentially see that. The ability to control the pace of that is certainly much more available outside the military than in. Yeah, and that's why you'll see that your peers, the people that you graduated college with 10 years down the line are in sometimes much, much higher positions than you find yourself in the military. And so this idea of the leadership plateau is that when you are done with your CGO type service, you kind of plateau in that you go do staff work or you do the same job that you just did, but in a different location or go to school for a year or two. And you just, you have to wait until you become that Lieutenant Colonel or Colonel and you find yourself in a command position before you start ramping back up again in your growth as a leader. And so that spoke to me in that I saw what was ahead of me if I were able to stay on active duty, which is what I wanted, I was going to find myself in a position where I was not going to grow as much as I wanted to. Here I was at what I felt was the top of my game. I had just spent 
the last couple of years teaching leadership and growing new leaders. And on top of that, use all of that other experience that I had for my previous stint on active duty, all of my deployments, all of the projects I managed and all these other things, I felt like I was at a point where I wanted to not plateau, but accelerate my growth into the next thing, whatever the next thing was going to be. And I knew that continuing to serve as a senior captain, as a major was not going to do that for me. And so I considered that corporate America might be the best way for me to do that. And so I, I started seeking out those options and considering which direction I might go as far as what sort of industry I wanted to work in, uh, different locations, the type of role that I was interested in. And I got really excited about it. And then COVID hit and corporate America stopped hiring. And I was three months away from separating from the Air Force after I had already tried so many times to stay on active duty and I knew that I couldn't. So I couldn't stay on active duty. I couldn't get hired in corporate America and the, the clock was ticking down. And let me tell you, speaking of dark places, that is not a good position to be in. We forgot to mention you have a mortgage, a wife and three children. So let's, let's just throw that weight on top of all of this right now, right? Well, I, I did mention er earlier that one of those children has a chronic disease that without healthcare and proper management will take his life. And so, yeah, absolutely. I was feeling all of these pressures from what I wanted to have happen, both in the military or in corporate America, and all of the external factors that were not allowing that to happen. And this is another great way to talk about identifying and recognizing the things that are out of your control and focusing on the things that you can. And I love what you mentioned earlier, Reed, about accepting the result, being at peace with it, right? Yeah, it does no good for you to go stand outside and shake your fists at the sky because COVID. Maybe it might relieve some stress. It's not going to change anything. And yeah, making peace with those things, I think, is helpful. But yeah, this I remember this time because it was just recently. And it definitely gave me something to think about in this arena as well. Even though I'm not separating, it made me realize when that time comes, I can't control what's going on in the world. There may be an economic financial collapse, right? The folks that in 2007 were thinking, oh man, you know, 2001 to 2006, that was pretty rough. I'm done with this deployment life. You know, real estate's really going gangbusters. Maybe I'm going to get out and be a realtor. They, they couldn't have predicted the 2008 financial collapse and specifically the collapse of the, the housing market. So you never know. So again, to our audience, even those that are not even in yet, think about the end. Think about what could it be like when it's time for me to hang it up so that you've got everything laid out and it's a lot less stressful of an experience. And even though, Colin, you'd already done this before and had that thing in mind, it still was hard. Oh, yeah. Imagine how much harder it would have been to me if I hadn't gone through it before. If I was learning how to leave the Air Force for the first time in the midst of this global pandemic, as hard as it was just adding that additional variable in there, oh my gosh, I don't know where I would be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, our last episode was an alphabet soup in and of itself, and we already highlighted that everyone you know has never done this before because they're still in. So yeah, I. it was really funny. When you said, Let, let's do an episode on how we know it's time to leave, the first reaction was like, that's dumb. Like, why do, why do I care? Well, I don't, I don't care, right? This is 12 years at best for me, maybe, maybe 11. But I have definitely come to understand why, why it matters and that it's important to have the, the end in mind. So yeah, 
thanks for sharing your story with us. I know you, you had to get pretty vulnerable right there, but I think the growing that we can all gain from that is really valuable. Yeah. So many lessons learned from this last experience that I wouldn't trade, but I'm also saying that now on the back end of it, like I'm through it now. I thankfully landed very well with a great company in a position that I'm really excited about. Uh, for anybody who's interested, the, the company is called Brainstorm. We're a, a change management technology company and I'm working as a client success manager. Now, all of those things that I just said sound really weird <laughs> because I'm used to speaking and I am comfortable speaking Air Force, right? But now I have to learn this new language that feels slightly uncomfortable to me just because it's new and I haven't done it for the last 10 years, right? Are you the weird guy who will drop like a military phrase and everyone just doesn't know what that means? Has that happened yet? It does happen, yeah. The transition is a process. It's not an event. It takes a long time. And the longer you spend in the military, the longer it's going to take you to finish that transition. Sure. And I don't know that you will ever finish the transition. Oh, yeah. I'm so going to be that guy wearing like my retired hat at the commissary with my cane back in my day. Like I'm going to be that guy. I know because I'm, I'm just I'm in so deep. I know it's going to be hard. Like, I just, I know that's going to happen. Yeah. And because it is so hard and uh, you mentioned earlier that there's a significant emotional piece to it. The more you can solve the unemotional objective variables of the transition of leaving the Air Force ahead of time, the better off you're going to be so that you have the capacity to work through those emotions. It is very emotional because this is a piece of you. It is a, a huge part of you. This idea of being an airman. I mean, we bring you in, we inculcate you in this culture. We break you down and build you back up to be what we want you to be. And then to have to take that off when we tell you to, in some circumstances, is very, very difficult. To split that part away from you and put it away is very, very difficult. Yeah. And, you know, we really want to give you, our audience, those tools for success. We don't want to see you at year 19.8, you know, staring down an impending separation slash retirement and say out loud, I'm not ready. I don't know what I'm going to do because you and I have both seen that. We've seen it at the five-year point. We've seen it at the 15-year point, at the 25-year point. We've seen those folks. And, you know, as much as we make light of the situation, like we genuinely care for others and we want them to make that successful transition. So anything else you want to share before you wrap up today, Colin? Just as you think about your own exit strategy, start where you are. We recognize that you don't have all the answers right now. And that's totally fine. That's the point of this episode is to start you on that process. Start here, begin asking questions, gather information, building that exit strategy that is going to work for you and even your family in any sort of situation, including a global pandemic, right? Solve those variables early, set yourself up for success and let us be a part of that along the way as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, thanks for joining us on today's episode. We're really grateful for your questions, for your engagement. We love hearing from you in our discussion room on Facebook. Please continue to engage with us there. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode of Commission Ed. Thank you for listening to Commission Ed, the Air Force Officer Podcast. The views and opinions of the authors expressed herein do not state or reflect those of the government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes mention of any specific commercial products, process, or service by trade name, trademark, manufacturer, or otherwise does not necessarily constitute nor imply its endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the U.S. government. The mention of companies by name is solely for the purpose of discussion 
and should not be implied as endorsement.